0: Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to worship. Yeah, it's an opportunity. It's, it's something that is a gift to us. Lord, even this day is a gift. Even this breath is a gift. And so we acknowledge you today. We acknowledge you as the God who is the, the giver of all good things. And so just like Paul said, not I, but Christ. And as John the Baptist said, we, we pray that Jesus would increase and that we would decrease. Lord, you know the burdens on our heart today. We want to be intentional right now just to cast our cares upon the Lord, cast our burdens on the Lord. Thank you for being the one who sustains us. And Father, I want to pray specifically for George and Rhonda Crumley today. Thank you for what they mean to our church family. And Lord, you know their needs. I pray that you administer to them and give them the grace that you know specifically that they need this week. Hold them up. Bless their kids. Bless their ministry and their spheres of influence. Use them to be salt and light in the world around them. And Father, now, as we're about to open up the Word of God, Lord, you know this, we want this to be more than just a routine. We want this to be more than just an intellectual exercise. God, we pray right now for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Please, Father, Give us a heart that is eager to hear and a life that is willing to do. Lord, we pray that you would reveal Jesus to us and that you would change us as we open up your word. We pray in Jesus' saving and precious name, let everyone say, amen. Amen. All right, here we go. It's time to dive into Luke chapter 15. We have been studying the passion of the Christ. Remember the passion of the Christ, not just his sufferings, but why he suffered. It's because he came to seek and to save the lost. You know, before we actually open up Luke 15, I, I wonder, I wonder if as we've been beholding this passion now for the last three weeks or so, I wonder if, if you've been sensing God's prompting. If you've, if you've been maybe pricked in your heart, there, there's an individual that you feel like God wants you to actively seek after, whether they're wandering afar like the lost sheep, or whether they're missing right under our noses, right in-house, like lost coin. And if you've been hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you, then man, I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, go ahead and write their name down. Write that person's name down that you feel like God wants you to reach out to. Write it down so that, you know, if, if there's a precious person, a precious soul, a precious friend or family member on your heart to pray about and reach out to this week, write that name down. And then, and then take time every day this week, to actually pray for them. Take time even to pray that you would be an answer to the prayers you're praying for that individual. All right, so without further ado, let's let's dive into Luke 15. It's, it's time to get to the third of the three parables in Luke 15. It's It's the longest of the three parables, definitely the most detailed of the three parables, And I think it's for a reason. Uh, When you look at those details, some of those details are pretty provoking. if If you're really listening, Jesus wants to engage his hearers and make sure they're paying attention, not just to what he's saying, but to his heart. And so this, I would say, is the climax It's the climax of Jesus' response to the grumbling scribes and Pharisees. It's the the climax of his response to what they're complaining about. Those those religious leaders, they're complaining because they don't share the passion of the Christ. So as we dive in, giving you enough time to look up Luke chapter 15. Hopefully you've got your Bible here uh, right in front of you. If not, there's a a tab on the right-hand side for the Bible app there. But as we dive in, Okay, I know this third parable, it's, it's called the prodigal son. Maybe it's familiar territory, but would you please, let's read it again. I've said this before, but let's read it again for the first time. Let's read it with an eye for the passion of the Christ. What, what, Where's his passion? And also, let's read it with a heart that wants his passion to be the passion of his church. Okay? So we're going to start in Luke chapter 15. I'm starting in verse 11, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Whew. Hold on just a second. We're diving right into this story. The details here thus far are are really significant. Here's a son, one of two. He's the younger of the two sons. And he's talking to his father in a demanding sort of way. And he's not making a request. He's not asking nicely or politely. He's demanding, Father, I want my inheritance. I want what's due to me. When you die, I'm going to think of you as though you were dead. I want out of here. And do you, do you hear that? This is a younger son who is really a a brat, ungrateful, and he's wanting it all for himself. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, after he has wasted all his possessions with prodigal living, verse 14 says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine, a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Again, just put the pause button on here. Do you hear what's happening? This, This ungrateful son, he's wasted all he's had. He's begun to be in want. And now... Now he's, he's at the, the pit of despair. Literally, he's, he's in a pig's sty. He's eating pig's food. Let's keep reading what happens. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Again, we're just going to stop right there. There's a lot to swallow. Again, like I said, this is probably the most detailed of the stories. We haven't even gotten to to the halfway point, probably, okay? So as Jesus launches into this story, the first thing he wants people to focus on is this, this younger son this younger son who, who seems so entitled. And he wants us to pay attention to his journey. There are, there are uh, I guess his story is marked by his journey, the steps that he takes, the movements that he makes, his decisions and his directions to go away from home. Did you notice? Did you notice those two distinct moves? I think the first one is in verse 13. In verse 13, the Bible says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country he, he journeyed. Okay. This, this is the first step away from home his action is not just going somewhere. It's actually going far somewhere far. His attitude is, Hey, look, I just can't handle being here. The younger son's first movement highlights something. It, it highlights that classic grass is greener on the other side sort of mindset this younger son has has the, uh, such a foolish heart that he concludes that satisfaction in his life isn't going to be found at his father's house it's going to be found somewhere far from his father's house and in the end any whether it's a younger son or just a sinner in general anytime we make that conclusion we will only and always be left empty. You see, these movements of the sun, they're, they're actually demonstrating the tragedy of sin. There's two movements. It's the first movement is to go far, and that's the first tragedy of sin, that we feel like the satisfaction is somewhere else than in the presence of God. The second movement of the sun, let's take a look. It's in verse 15. Then he went, so this is after the famine sets in, after he begins to feel want. Verse 15 says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. This is his second move. His second movement away from home. He went and joined himself. In other words, this is a picture of us finding ourselves empty. It's the second tragedy of sin, that, that, that delusionary thinking that we can actually do something to fill our need, that we can actually pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to take care of our lack and all of our shortcomings. Man, that's the tragedy of sin that says, oh, I'm not satisfied here, and what I can do to satisfy my need is all I need. That, that, that I can actually fill my stomach. I can, I can take care of my wants myself. I will keep moving away, away, away. That's the tragedy of sin, but praise the Lord those two movements away from home are actually countered by two movements back home. Okay, There are two movements back home that illustrate the twofold truth of the gospel. If if the two movements away from home illustrates the twofold tragedy of sin, the two movements back home illustrates the twofold gospel truth. This is powerful. Let's go to verse 17. We'll find that the first of these movements back. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, uh, just let's read that again. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Okay, we're going to pause right here again because here he's He's actually moving home. He's making a movement towards home, not away from home this time. This might not be a physical movement, sure, but he began to realize something. He came to himself. At least that's what the New King James puts it. Maybe your version says he came to his senses. He began to realize something of his father's ample provision and kindness. Did you hear it? Oh, how many of my father's hired servants uh, how, how many of them have bread enough into spare, and I perish with hunger? He's starting to realize it's dawning. This is the first movement of coming to his senses that highlights the first truth of the gospel. And that's simply this. It's awareness of the Father's goodness that leads your heart and mine to Repentance. Romans 2 verse 4 says it really well. Don't you know that the kindness of God leads us to repentance? That's the first truth of the gospel, illustrated by the first movement, so to speak, of the younger son towards home. Now, what's the second movement back? What's the second movement? It's found in verse 20. It's found in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know, sometimes people ask, hey, what's what's your favorite verse in the Bible? I I don't know if I can necessarily say that there's, I have a favorite, but I tell you what, this is probably the most beautiful picture of the heart of God. And this is the second movement, I would say, the second movement towards home. It's not just that the son came to his father, that he arose and got up and went to his father, but it's that the father came to him. That's the second movement. That's that second uh, gospel truth that that the father ran to him even while he was a great way off. And this, I tell you, if the first truth is that it's God's goodness that draws us and leads us to repentance, the second truth of the gospel is the grace of our Heavenly Father that runs to the repentant sinner. Oh, this is so beautiful. And I would say this, that, that that God's grace not only runs to the sinner, but restores the repentant sinner. I mean, notice what the Father, how the Father responds. If you keep reading from verse 20 and onward, We'll start in verse 21. The the son is trying to speak up and kind of give his pre-prepared speech and stuff. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, notice his actions, notice the father's embrace of the son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on on his feet. Verse 23, And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Wah! Wow. <laughs> this is grace that not just runs to the sinner, but restores the sinner. So look at the father's embrace. Drink in this picture of God's love. Man, rather than demanding an explanation, rather than putting him on some sort of probation, these are all gestures of restoring him to sonship rather than servanthood. Did you see those actions? Where was that? Verse 22, bring up the best robe, put it on him, put, it, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. All of this is is communicating through concrete actions. You are a son, not a servant. And all of our sense of unworthiness cannot stop the tide of God's amazing love. All all of our sense of, oh man, I, I am unworthy, I am unforgivable. No matter how checkered your past may seem, no matter how deserving you are of punishment, There is a God whose mercy endures forever. Friends, no matter how far gone you may feel, let this vision of God's reckless love bring you to your senses and draw you home to the Father's embrace, the embrace that not only runs to you, but fully restores sinners as sons and daughters of the King. Man, this is the passion of the Christ. This is the passion of the Christ to seek and to save that which is lost, to run to and restore the repentant sinner. This is what Jesus himself was living out in real time as he was eating with sinners, receiving tax collectors, addicts, rebels who were being drawn near to hear him. This is his passion. What a beautiful passion it is. Unfortunately, the story does not stop there. It it gets a little more pointed at this point. Again, we're just halfway through. There's another portion of this story that Jesus really wants to to send home and pierce his hearer's hearts with. Let's read it, starting in verse 25. In verse 25, the Bible says this. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house... He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with Boy, right now you may be cringing just like I am. You may be cringing at the older brother's refusal to resonate with the father's celebration. Man, but can, can, you, can you hear the thoughts? As we keep reading, listen for the thoughts, the thinking behind his refusal to share his father's passion. Verse 29, Just we'll take this phrase by phrase. Verse 29. So he answered and said to his father, "Lo." You know, no, no address, no respectful. Hey, pops, hey, hey you know, can, can we have a talk? Yeah, just, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Listen to what he's saying. The word for serving here is actually the same. It, it comes from the root word doulos, which means servant. He feels like he's a slave. To his father. It reveals something about his attitude towards his father. What what kind of relationship he viewed between he and his father. He viewed himself as a slave, and he viewed his father as a slave master. He viewed himself as a slave rather than a son. Keep reading and hear his thoughts. Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. You hear what he's doing? You hear what he's doing? He he's bringing up his righteousness. His his track record, his his hey, I've got gold stars all the I got no check marks on the chalkboard. I am spotless and blameless. I have never transgressed. You know what this is? The older son has a meritorious mindset. You know, I deserve this. It's what we fall into when our sense of personal significance and identity is Is reward or retribution centered, not relationship centered. It's what we fall into when obedience in our lives is the cause rather than the effect of a relationship with God. Man, this meritorious mentality is something that we actually end up projecting on others, and we assume that others should operate the same way too. That's why the older brother is so disgusted. I mean, the older brother is so disgusted. His sense of justice and what is fair is bothered. Hey, he should be, he should be held to the same standard. He, you know, what, what, what's going on? His sense of justice is bothered. All right, so he's got a, the mindset of a slave. He's got the mindset of, of I deserve this and he deserves that. The meritorious mindset. Now keep reading verse 29. Let's hear the rest of what he says. Lo, these many years I've been serving you I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Talk about ungrateful, right? Uh, Here, the older son is saying, you never gave me. I mean, this is the one who did everything according to the book. This is the one who followed his self-imposed stay-at-home orders. And he feels the same lack in-house that the younger son felt far off. What in the world? He says, you never gave. I don't have. Did you notice that the previous stories of Luke 15, the previous parables of lostness actually collide into one plot right here? You know, the younger son is lost afar, just like the sheep that was lost in the countryside. He definitely knew that he was lost. But the older son was just as lost in house, just like the lost coin was lost in the house. He had no clue about it. He was clueless. And he says, you never gave me. He feels a lack, just like the the younger son felt a lack in the far country when there was a famine, when he was eating the pods uh, that were were pig's food and things. He feels a lack, like like his father never gave him anything. But hold on, hold the phone. Do you realize that the father had already given him everything? I mean, just, just go back very quickly to the very beginning of the parable in verse 12 you remember when the younger son is asking for his inheritance. Notice what it says in verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Then notice this last part. So he divided to them his livelihood. Did you hear it? He gave his livelihood not just to the younger son. He gave his livelihood to them. Plural. The younger and the older son, you'd already given him the inheritance to the older son too. And here he is saying, you never gave me. And that's just as ridiculous as going hungry while locked in a grocery store. <laughs> That's why why in in verse 31, the father has said, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. In his reward-centered thinking, the older son had never truly enjoyed or personally appreciated the blessings of relationship with the father. That's what reward-centered thinking does. That's what the meritorious mindset does. It, it has dangerous results when we start cherishing this, this type of master-slave relationship with God—a this-for-that kind of expectation from God and from for others. We end up distanced not only from the Father, but from our brothers. You know, in verse thirty, listen to how this older son talks about his brother. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Didn't use his name. (laughs) Didn't even call him brother. As soon as this son of yours came. Do you feel it? Do you hear it? The older brother's cold heart claims no connection to his brother. The sobering reality is this, that both sons in this story needed repentance. Both sons needed a turnaround in their life. The younger son needed a a repentance from his wild living apart from the father. The older son needed repentance from his legalism that kept him far from the father too. Man. here's a dad with a broken heart. He's lost two sons now. How would the father respond to this lost son? That's the question. How would the father respond to this lost son? Is there, is there any hope for those who are lost to legalism? I tell you what, the father's embrace for the older son is just as real and merciful as it was for the younger son. Let's keep reading in verses 31 and 32. He invests great effort to restore this older son too. Notice how, how he does this. Verse 31, and he said to him, son. Oh man, I really want to slow down here. He said to him, son. You want to know how the father restores this kind of lostness? The older son mentality? How? Well, the first thing he does is he restores? I'm sorry. Maybe I should say it like this: the first thing he does is he starts with the declaration. He starts with reminding him that he stands in a relationship of sonship, not a relationship of servitude. I Man, I I love how Paul puts it in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter eight, verse fifteen, he says, "The spirit you receive does not make you slaves." So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Man, this is so beautiful. God is saying, hey, uh, the the first redemptive step for anyone that's lost to illegalism, just like this older son, the first redemptive step is to reestablish an identity of grace. An identity of grace, a relationship that sees God as father, not master, and sees ourselves as children, not slaves. What's the second step? Again, back to to verse 31, where the father is now responding and pleading, the Bible says, pleading with his older son. Verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. There's no need to feel in want that you don't have anything. There's no need to think and feel as though you need to earn your keep or, or to think in terms of merit and reward, but to simply rest in the assurance of the Father's love to provide all that you need, regardless of your effort. What the Father is doing here is giving them the assurance. Everything I have is yours. He's giving the, him the assurance of grace. And that's what, what Jesus does for us when he's trying to restore the, the, those who are lost in legalism. First, he gives, him the, I, he gives us the identity of grace. And then he gives us the assurance of grace. Everything I have is already yours. But there's something else that he does. He, he extends an appeal. He extends the appeal of grace. Let's see how the Father does this here in the parable. Verse 32 It was right that we should make merry and be glad. Why? For your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. I think Jesus chose the Father's words very carefully here. Your brother was dead. Now he's alive again. He's lost, but now he's found. This is the appeal that the father is making to the older son. This is the appeal that Jesus is making to any of us lost in legalism. It's an appeal to not only receive grace from the father, but to extend that same grace towards any prodigal. He's your brother too. He's not just my son. He's your brother too. It's an appeal to restore and reinstate repentant prodigals as part of our family. And there's a powerful quote from a book called Christ's Object Lessons when it's talking specifically about this parable. On page 210, Ellen White says this, When you see yourselves as sinners, saved only by the love of your heavenly Father, you will have tender pity for others who are suffering in sin. She goes on to say, when the ice of selfishness is melted from your hearts, you will be in sympathy with God. We're starting to see what keeps us out of sympathy with God. It's the ice of selfishness. It's when we cease seeing ourselves as sinners saved only by the love of our Heavenly Father. Let's keep reading. When the ice of selfishness is melted from your hearts, you will be in sympathy with God and and will share His joy in the saving of the lost. It is true that you claim to be a child of God, but if this claim be true, it is thy brother that was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Deny your relationship to him and you show that you are but a hireling in the household, not a child in the family of God. Pretty straight, right? These are some really sobering diagnostic questions here. And if I were to ask the question, it would be like this. When the lost are found, you know, when prodigals actually come home, how will we receive them? How will I receive them? When people turn home, when people are repentant, when prodigals come home, how will we receive them? And that's that's something we need to grapple with here. You know, we know the passion of the Christ is to restore prodigals to sonship, to pull out all the stops, to reintegrate them to the family. We know that's the passion of the Christ. What will it take for that to be our passion too? What I know for sure is it takes embracing the identity of grace and the assurance of grace. It would require us to reject the hireling's heart to refuse to relate to God on the basis of merit and reward, and instead see ourselves as sinners saved only by the love of the Father, just like everyone else. And this is, this is huge for any of us who feel like we deserve or we're entitled to God's blessings because we've done X, Y, and Z. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe you're a lifer you know, a lifer in the church, so to speak, and you feel like you deserve this or that, you may not say that, but you might feel that. I tell you what, we need to refuse the hireling's heart. We need to see ourselves as sinners who are saved not by what we've done, not by how faithful we've been, but only by the love of the Father, just like everyone else. What's really interesting is that the parable ends right there. It ends without a conclusion to the story. The father speaks, the father appeals, he pleads, he invites. And the older brother is not just in Jesus' audience, but the older brother in all of us. The older brother is left to respond. How will the story conclude? That's up to us. How will the story conclude in, in your life, in, in my life? How will the story conclude in our circles of influence and in our church? You know, we, we talk about being a house of prayer. You know, here, here in our church family, we've, we've got the prayer jar. We, we have habits of praying with partners or uh, having prayer meetings every now and then. Um, but when you read the, the chapter of Isaiah where that phrase, house of prayer, even comes from, you get the sense that being a house of prayer is really about being a house for prodigals. That's what being a house of prayer is. It's being a house for prodigals, a safe haven for those who are lost to be found and restored. And that's the vision that God has for His church, that we would be a house of prayer and a house of prodigals. I think we would all say that we all want our church to be that, and if that's what we all want our church to be, it it must really start with me, with with you, with with us personally. Man, I want the passion of the Christ to be the passion of my life. How is it with you? Do you want the same? I, I think this story it, it it doesn't have an ending. But you and I have the opportunity to end it. You and I have the opportunity to, to draw it to its conclusion. So how about it? Will we ask for the passion of the Christ to be the passion of our lives? Is that your desire? Yeah? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, once again, we are just so in awe of who you are. This picture of the Father that runs and restores. Lord, our hearts are melted under your grace today. And I pray that you would do a transforming work for any of us who may feel like we are unworthy of that. Lord, please draw us to repentance. Give us the assurance that your love endures forever. For any of us who feels as though We are deserving of much more. Lord, I pray that you would do a a humbling work in our lives. Please, Father, save us. Be the God who not only covers us with his passion, but extends his passion through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.